We're going to continue today our uh, little mini-sermon series that we're doing at the beginning of this year about the topic of money. We want to start the year off with uh, getting God's perspective on money, which is a very important thing going on in our lives right now, and it's something that's uh, always going to be important. Um, We've entitled this series, Money on Our Minds, which is something that's very true. Um, So far in this series, we've looked at God's view of money, and we've understood that from God's perspective, money is not inherently good, that we should love it and worship it and pursue it like we're taught to do in the world. It's not inherently bad that we should avoid it, but it's simply a tool that we can use either to accomplish good or bad, either to build God's kingdom with it or build our own kingdom. Uh, We heard about stewardship how the Bible is very clear that God owns everything and that whatever we have has been given to us by God. And whether we like it or not, we are stewards or managers of those things. And we're going to be held accountable for how we use uh, what God has given us and every decision that we make regarding that. And then last week we heard uh, about giving, about the importance of giving, that uh, part of, of living a Christian lifestyle, of fully experiencing what God has in our life, is living a lifestyle of what we call extravagant generosity, where we're concerned about the needs of others more than the needs of ourselves. Today we're going to conclude this series by looking at one more important topic in the area of money. And it's one of those things that we really don't hear much about today. It's something that maybe was was talked about a lot a long time ago, but particularly in our modern American culture, it's something we rarely hear about. As a matter of fact, we're, we're even told that this thing we're going to talk about today is, is foolish, that it's something we should avoid, that it's, it's really a nonsense. But not surprisingly, it's something that the Bible says is extremely important. Matter of fact, I'm going to be as bold today and say that what we're going to study today is necessary if we're going to live a happy life, that without this thing in our lives, we cannot be happy. Today we're going to talk about contentment. The secret of contentment, when enough is enough. One of the clear teachings of Scripture, both in the Old and New Testaments, is that if we want to live a happy life, a life that's uh, pleasing to God, we need to be content with what God has given us. And we're going to focus today on one of the main passages in Scripture that deal with this issue of contentment. And that's from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to learn through this passage what contentment is, why it's so important, and how we can get contentment. So before, before we look into God's Word, I want to do this. I want to stop and ask you this question. How are you doing in the area of contentment? Just think about that for a minute. Are you fully content with where you are in life, with where, what God has given you? Another question I want you to think about, has there ever been a time in your life that God has taught you about this important issue of contentment? Maybe through a study of God's Word or through a life experience. While you're thinking about those questions, let me tell you about a time in my own life when God really taught, taught me about contentment. A little over six years ago, my wife Marie and I, and our son at that point, Michael, who was just an infant, 
we moved for, to the United States from Russia, where we were living at the time. And as we were preparing, we were in Russia, we were preparing to come to the States. Uh, we knew that one thing we were going to need when we got here would be a car. And so we started praying that God would, would meet this need. Um, we didn't have a lot of money, so we knew that God needed to do something kind of special for us. Well, we were really excited just shortly before we left Russia to get an email from the pastor of our home church in Marietta, Georgia, uh, which said that a, a family in the church had decided to give us a car. Not to sell us or whatever, loan us, but to, to actually give us one of their cars. So we were just praising God for his great answer to this, this prayer. When we got to America, a few days after we arrived, uh, I went over to the church to pick up our, our car. And I'll be honest, when I saw the car, I was a little bit disappointed. Um, it was a nice model car. It was a Buick Century, but it was an old car. It was, over, it was about 10 years old, and it had over 150,000 miles on it. And I don't know if you know, but for that car, that model car, that's, that's a lot of miles. So I got the car, I started driving home in it, and the car was making a lot of noise. I mean, the engine was just kind of making this roaring noise. Noise. I wasn't even sure I was going to get home with it. And I was thinking, uh, okay, well, this car may get us around a little bit, you know, just enough time until we can look around and probably have, have to buy a car. But we started driving the car, and it started running better and got a little bit better. And about four months later, we were still driving this car. And... Um, at this point, I had already applied and been accepted to seminary, so I knew in a couple months we were going to be moving to Illinois to start seminary. So I got this thought in my mind. I said, you know, this car is running okay, but it's probably not going to last a lot longer, and what we need is a reliable car to take to Illinois with us that will get us through seminary. So we're going to need to, to buy a car and use a little bit of savings that we have to, to buy a car. So I started thinking about cars. I started looking at cars as we drove around. I started looking at ads for cars. And I finally found the car that I wanted. It was a Toyota minivan. Now, for some of you, a minivan may not be your dream car. You know, maybe you're dreaming of having a, a Lexus LS or a Corvette convertible. But, you know, funny things happen when you get married and you have kids. And to me, my dream car was a minivan. <laughs> so I started thinking about this, this Toyota minivan. And you know what? Our neighbor across the street where we were living in, in Georgia had a Toyota minivan. So I used to, seriously, I used to look out the window of our house where we were living, and I would look at that car, and I'd say, I want a car just like that. And I started dreaming of having a Toyota minivan. <laughs> and uh, I started looking around you know, at the ads to see what we could afford. And the more I pursued trying to buy a, this, this, this new minivan, uh, in my heart I had this, this lack of peace. And I had to start praying about this issue. I said, okay, God, what is it? You know, what are you trying to tell me? And the more I prayed about this, I got this strong feeling that God was saying, don't buy another car, but just keep the car that I've given you and be content with that. And I'll be honest, this was, I struggled with this for a period of time because I really, in my mind, we needed a new car. We needed a bigger car. And in my heart, I wanted that, but I sensed this voice telling me not to do it. And I struggled with this, but I finally came to the place where I was convinced that God was saying, just be content with this old Buick that you have. Trust me that it's going to continue to run. 
and uh, give up this idea of buying a new car. And I, I talked to Maria, we talked about it, and we both decided that we'll just do that. And we said, okay, God, we're just going to not buy a new car, we're just going to keep this old Buick and take it to, to Illinois with us and trust that it's going to continue to run. Shortly after this experience, um, I started thinking about the issue of contentment. And I decided really for the first time in my life to really do a Bible study and to read what does the Bible have to say about contentment. And I, I read through all the verses in the Old and New Testament about contentment. And here's what I found that Scripture says about contentment. That in this little principle, it's kind of a, almost a little hidden principle in Scripture of contentment, lies one of the secrets of living a happy life. And this is what I believe Scripture teaches. Now I'm going to be bold and say that, that without contentment, it is impossible to have a happy life. But with contentment, it's possible to be happy in all circumstances. Now, I really believe that that's true. And if, if that's true, then I think it's very important for us here today to really understand what are we talking about? What is this contentment and how can we have this? And I want to look at this passage of Scripture today from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul is going to give the answers to four questions about contentment. The first is, what is contentment? Then what is enough? Why is it so hard to be content? And finally, how can we be content? So if you would open your Bibles, please, to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy is toward the end of the New Testament, uh, a little bit before you get to Hebrews. And while you're turning there, let me just tell you uh, about this book. This is uh, one of the letters that Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, who was uh, his disciple in the faith. Uh, Paul had left Timothy in the city of Ephesus to pastor the, the little church there and to, to set things in order. And in this book, uh, this letter that Paul wrote, he's basically doing two things. One is he's giving instructions to Timothy about uh, his ministry there in Ephesus as a pastor. He's also giving Timothy some, some instructions about his own personal life. And the passage that we're going to read today begins with some ins personal instructions to Timothy about his own life and how he should live. And we're going to start today by looking at uh, the first two verses here, uh, verses 6 and 7. And in, in these two verses, Paul is going to answer the question of what is contentment. Paul says here, he says, starting in verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. It's very interesting what Paul is saying here, and it's really a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. Uh, all of us know the importance of godliness. Godliness is sort of one of those old words that basically means you know, living a morally pure life, living a holy life, living a life that's pleasing to God. And we talk a lot about that to, in our church, you know, how that's so important, particularly in a, a world where we're taught ungodliness, a world that's morally impure. So godliness is extremely important to, to have a happy life, a life that's pleasing to God. But here Paul makes a bold statement that he says godliness with contentment is great gain. That if we want to have great gain, God, content, excuse me, godliness alone is not enough. 
We need to have both godliness and contentment. So contentment is extremely important in uh, having a successful, a godly Christian life. Let me give you a definition of contentment, what I mean by the word contentment. Contentment is an attitude of the heart where we accept as sufficient for our life what God has given us, and we do not desire or seek after more. Now, this definition comes from the the meaning of the Greek word that's translated in this passage as contentment. And that word literally means to be satisfied with, to have our needs and desires fulfilled. And if you notice, there's really two parts to this definition. Uh, First of all, contentment means that we accept as sufficient for our life what God has given us. And second, it means that we do not desire or seek after more. So contentment really has to do with our hearts, the attitude of our heart. It really doesn't affect, it doesn't, it's not dependent on what we have. We may have a lot or very little in our life, but it has to do with what our hearts are, where our heart is set. What's in our hearts? Do we continually desire to have more, more money, more things, more uh, success, more pleasure? Or in our hearts, are we content with where God has put us, what God has given us? The good news is, as an attitude, we can affect, we can, we can control or change this attitude of contentment. We can't always change our circumstances, but we can change our attitudes and how we think, look at things. Now, it's, it's a lot easier to talk about being content than actually to do it. Because we live in a world... We live in a materialistic, consumer-driven world that, that is, goes out of its way to try to program us to be not content. Did you know that in advertising, just for one example, one of the basic principles of the science of advertising, if any of you have ever had a course in advertising, this is in the very introductory course, one of the basic things that advertisers try to do is to create discontent in the minds and the hearts of the people that they're trying to reach. Because unless they can convince you that what you have is not enough, that for you to be happy, you need to buy their product, they're not going to be able to sell their product. So every day in our lives, as we watch TV, as we read magazines or the newspaper, uh, billboards, we're being programmed to be discontent. We're told by all the media, by even our non-Christian friends, that to have a happy life, we need to have more. That, that we need to have more. That what we have is not enough. That we need to be discontent. And God wants to come and He wants to counteract that message. He wants to tell us that that is a false message. That we can be content. We can be happy with what we have. So the next question that Paul addresses that we may be asking, if contentment is so important, well, what is enough? What is enough that if we have it, then we should be content and not be striving after more? And I'll warn you, the answer may really surprise you. Look what Paul says in verse 8. He says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, that's a pretty minimal standard, food and clothing. He says, 
that's what you need to be content. If you have that, you should be content. Now, I was interested in, in really understanding what Paul meant here by food and clothing. So I did a little study, and I looked at the, the two Greek words here that are translated as food and clothing. And this is what I found they really mean. Uh, the word translated here, food, of course, it means food. But it means a special aspect of that. It means literally food or sustenance or subsistence. So in other words, it means having a, basically enough food to live on. He's not talking about going to Pizza Hut or Dino's Italian restaurant every evening for dinner. He's saying have, have basically having enough food to live on, a subsistence level of, of food. The word here in the Greek that's translated as clothing has a little broader meaning than just the clothes that we wear. It literally means covering. And that includes the clothes that we wear, but it also would include the house where we live or a place to live. So we could really uh, translate that word as clothes and shelter. So basically, here's a standard that Paul is saying, that if we have this, then we should be content. If we have enough uh, food to eat, clothes to wear, and uh, housing or uh, shelter over our, uh, over our heads then we should be content. Now, anything else that we have in our life is a gift from God. And it's something we can enjoy, but it's, it's more than what we need to be content. Now, I know many of you, probably most of you in the room, and I know that probably all of us here today can say that we have food to eat, clothes to wear, and a place to live. So we can be content based on this standard. So my question to you today is, how are you doing based on this standard? Are you fully content with where God has you and with what you have? Well, let's look at the next question that Paul answers in this passage. And that is, why is it so hard to be content? If, if you answered that last question of saying, well, you know, I'm not really there yet of being fully content with just having clothes and food and shelter. Well, don't be discouraged because, as I said, we live in a, a culture that teaches us, that programs us daily not to be content. And Paul addresses that in the next two verses in this passage about why it's so hard to be content. Uh, verse 9, Paul says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So Paul here says it. The reason it's so hard to be content is the love of money. There it is again. We've talked about that before in this series. Uh, I mentioned it in the sermon several weeks ago about the love of money, and that's, that's what we're programmed in our culture. The society around us teaches us to love money, to spend our lives making money and spending money and accumulating money. We're told that it's money and the things that money can buy that bring happiness, that bring true happiness in life. And, you know, we all believe that message to some degree. I mean, we live in this world. We have a fallen human nature that's still in us. 
And that appeals to that fallen nature. So inside of us, we have this war going on. Part of us loves God and we want to please God. But part of us loves the world and the things in the world, including money. And you know, we don't have to have a lot of money to, to, to struggle with the love of money. There are a lot of people in the world who are poor, whose lives are, are controlled by the love of money. So let me ask you this. Does money and the things that money buy can buy bring true happiness? Which is what we're told. Well, let me just give you one easy way to answer that question. The next time you're in Walmart and you're standing at the checkout line, just look at the covers of the magazines that are next to you. And look at the headlines about the rich and the famous celebrities that are on the covers of those magazines. Are those celebrities who have found the American dream of fame and fortune, are they happier than the rest of us? Now, a few of them probably are happy. You know, they have their lives together, and that's great. But for most of them, if you just read the headlines, their lives are a mess. And rather than bringing true happiness, their success and the money that they've gotten has actually brought them a lot of misery. You know, it's just what the Apostle Paul said in this, in this verse. He said that uh, the love of money leads to ruin and destruction and to many griefs. And they're a perfect example of that. So again, let me, let me ask you this question. How are you doing today in the area of the love of money? Are you content with what God has given you at this time in your life? Or in your heart, do you sense this longing to have more? Well, if you cannot answer the question today by saying that I'm completely free from the love of money, then again, don't be discouraged because this is something that we all struggle with. And we haven't answered the last question which Paul addresses, which is, how can we get to this place of being content? Because in the next several verses, Paul gives us some insights and in, in practical things that we can do to get to the place where we are content. Uh, let's read verses 11 and 12 to see the first thing that Paul tells us. And again, he is giving some instructions to Timothy about his own personal life. He says, But you, man of God, Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. There's, there's a general principle in Scripture that's, that's found throughout. And that is that if we want to stop doing something bad... Rather than struggling with that bad thing and fighting with it and trying to change it, we just need to start doing the opposite thing, the good thing. For example, Scripture says that if, if you have a problem with being lazy, just start working hard. If you have a problem with lying, then develop a habit of telling the truth. Paul says in Galatians 5 that to stop walking in the flesh, you know, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, 
We don't fight with those things. We just simply start walking in the Spirit. We start pursuing God. So that's what Paul is doing here in this passage. He is saying that to overcome the love of money, we don't focus on money. We don't struggle with the love of money. We don't fight and struggle and try to change how we pursue money or we, we, we think of money. What we do is rather than focusing on money, we focus on God and the things of God. Here specifically, he says that we are to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and, God, and gentleness. And this is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. This is a passage we read several weeks ago, but it's, it's worth repeating. Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 24, this is what Jesus said. He said, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So Paul tells us in this passage, same thing that Jesus said, is that one way to overcome the love of money so we can reach the place of contentment in our life is to seek first God and His kingdom, is to spend our time and our energy pursuing God and the things of God, seeking to know God better, obeying God, serving Him by serving other people. And you know what will happen is we spend our lives pursuing God and focusing our mind on God our mind will not be focused on money. It will not be focused on the amount of money that we have or how much we're earning or how much we have in our bank account. Instead, our minds will be focused on God and things of His kingdom. And here's the basic principle that we can take away from this. We don't find contentment by seeking after contentment. We find contentment by seeking after God. Contentment is a byproduct of living a life in a right relationship to God. So contentment is really a gift that God gives us as we seek Him, as we pursue Him. Okay, Paul gives us another practical insight of something else that we can do to help gain contentment in our lives. And that's a little bit later down in chapter 6. Let's go down to, skip down to, chapter, to verse 17. And read the next three verses. Again, Paul is talking here to Timothy. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So we learned earlier that we should be content if we have what? If we have food, clothing, and shelter over our heads. Now, Paul here sort of answers 
a logical question that really came to my mind as I studied that, and that was, what happens if we have more than those things? Which is probably true of all of us here in the room today. Is it a sin to have more than those basic needs? Is it a sin even to be rich? Well, Paul here answers that question. He says, no, it's not a sin to have more. It's not even a sin to be rich. But he tells us what to do with that. Now, let me share with you uh, a definition I heard once about what being rich is. And this really got my attention when I heard it. If you think about from a worldwide perspective, and I really agree with this definition, a rich person is someone who has disposable income. It's someone who has their basic needs met and has actual income that they can make a decision about what to do with that money. Did you know that most people in the world don't meet that definition? That they live on a subsistence level or below. Now here's the other shocking thing about that definition. Probably most, if not every one of us, in this room today, under this definition, are rich. Now just think about that for a moment. You know, based on the American standard, maybe we're not. But from a worldwide perspective, probably every one of us here today are truly rich. Because we have money that we can actually make decisions about how we're going to spend that. And that's most people in the world don't have that. So here's the question that Paul is answering in this passage. What do we do if we're rich? And all of us probably here are rich. How do we respond? Well, Paul says what we do is we, must, we should be willing to share from what we have with people that have even less than we have, with people in need. We should be generous with what God has given us, with our money, with our possessions, with our time, with our talents. And here's the same principle again that we saw a minute ago. What happens as we're generous? What happens as we focus on the needs of other people and we live a lifestyle of sharing and, and giving of ourselves and our time and our money to other people? Our minds and our hearts will be focused away from what we have, away from money, away from our possessions, and we will find ourselves being content with what we have. Again, contentment will be a byproduct of of serving other people in this case. So as we live a lifestyle of extravagant generosity, of sharing, God will grant us the gift of contentment. So let me, let me conclude by asking you this question. Do you want to have a happy life? You need to find contentment. Do you want to experience a life of great gain? then add to your pursuit of godliness, which is very important, contentment. Do you want to experience contentment? Spend your life, your time, your energies, pursuing God, the things of God, His righteousness and His kingdom. And then be willing to share what you do have with others in need. God has made it very clear to us in His Word how we can experience contentment. And the rest is up to, to us. How are we going to respond? Well, some of you may be curious to know what happened to our Buick Century. Because I left you, we were packing up to, drive, to move up to Illinois. 
So we, we moved to Illinois, um, and when we got there, Marie and I prayed, and we asked God to extend the life of that car for the whole time that we would be at seminary, which was going to be somewhere to three to four years. And every time that we got in the car, we would pray and say, God, please help us to get where we're going, to get there and back without the car breaking down. And we drove the car, and we drove the car, and we prayed, and we drove the car, and we, we kept going. And the car made it through four years of seminary. Uh, we did basic maintenance. We repaired a few small things. but We never had any major breakdowns in that car. God answered our prayer and gave us four years. Well, at the end of that four years, I decided to start a nine-month internship at Fellowship Church in Knoxville. Um, and it's going to be an internship without pay. So all of a sudden, we, we still couldn't buy a new car. So and we prayed and asked God for mercy to extend our earlier prayer and give us nine more months on that car to carry us through the internship. And that's exactly what God did. Do you know when the car finally broke down and we had to get rid of it? It was during the week after the internship was over. So maybe if I'd had more faith, we'd still be driving that car. I don't know. <laughs> but God answered our prayer and God extended the life of that car because we were willing to be content and to, 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 to trust God to, to take care of our need through that car. Just like he did with the Israelites when, he, uh, when their sandals never wore out for 40 years while they wandered in the wilderness, God extended the life of that car during the time that we needed reliable transportation. You know, God is true to his word. As we, as Marie and I and our family pursued God in his kingdom, not perfectly, but the best we knew how, God provided for our needs, just as he, just as he promised. And God will do the same thing in each of your lives. If we will trust God and be obedient to him, then God will provide for all of our needs. And we can be content with what we have, knowing that our God, who owns everything in the universe, will give us what we need at that time. Let's uh, please close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us very clearly from your word. I thank you for what you've taught me and my family about this issue of contentment and how it's just really helped us to really be happy and content even in times in our life and we've not had a lot. But we've had you and we've had all the, the good things that you've given us. Lord, teach each of us here today this secret of contentment that whether you bless us with a lot or a little, that we can in our hearts be at peace and be content. Teach us the secret of generosity that even though we may have a little, that we can be generous in sharing from what we have with others. Teach us to spend our lives and our energy in pursuing you. And we thank you, Lord, that you will provide for all of our needs. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.